Today on the Robot Thought Leaders podcast, we're talking to Jake Hall, who is the manufacturing millennial on LinkedIn. Jake joins us to talk about China, the competition, and where the future of manufacturing as well as automation is headed. It was a pretty awesome conversation. We covered a lot of different topics. 10% of the workforce in, the, in America right now is working in manufacturing. And by itself, that would be the seventh largest GDP in the world. Yeah. And percentage-wise, that's about 12% of the, the U.S. GDP. So just add some uh, perspective to it. Um, Jake uh, talks a little bit about his, his future of his brand and how he got started and being the youngest person in the room at an AHTD meeting, uh, in which uh, inspired him about uh, 18 months ago to start the Manufacturing Millennial. Yeah, we talked about IoT, uh, where it's going in the future. His experience in robotics is, is pretty varied and he has a lot of different uh, color to add to some of the topics that we'll be talking about today. So uh, please jo join us and tune in. Yeah, exactly, enjoy. Welcome to the Robot Thought Leaders Podcast with Zach Tompkinson and Chris Savoya, bringing you in-depth interviews with industry experts driving change in the robot world. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Jake. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be on, guys. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Robot Thought Leaders. Uh, we're happy to have you on this week. You know, I think it was just recently you went viral with like 2,000 likes and comments on uh, LinkedIn for that Lego post. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that, that, was, was, a uh, that was a fun post to uh, bring a little bit of everyone's kids' uh, kids' memories to real-life manufacturing. Yeah, and actually my memories too, I have to admit. I think I play, I still probably play with Legos more than I would like to admit, actually. But yeah, so when you started with the Manufacturing Millennial, like how did you even think about this? Like, you know, I'm sure you have a background, a career in uh, manufacturing that led you to that point, but what made you want to go viral and start your own brand? Yeah, I mean, so the manufacturing personal brand kind of developed when I was in industrial distribution. So I was working for dis distributors selling AMRs, AGVs, collaborative robots, vision, safety. And I was attending a national event in a room of a bunch of business owners and leaders. And as I looked across that room, I saw that as a millennial, you know, the, my age group was completely underrepresented in that room. You know, there was mm -hmm. maybe one or two other guys under the age of 40 sitting in that entire room. And I said, there's a huge disparity gap between millennials just within this leadership organization, but also just the manufacturing in general. I said, so I need to, I need to find a way to, you know, encourage the next generation of workforce to be a part of manufacturing. I said, well, I'm a millennial. I love manufacturing. And that's kind of how the, the brand of the manufacturing millennial came about. What's awesome. What yeah. event was it that, uh, that you were at that kind of sparked it for you? Yeah, it was uh, AHTD, the Association of High Technology Distributors. So yeah. a lot of yeah. the distributors across the U.S. Um, and it's a phenomenal organization uh, to be a part of our, our part of that event. And uh, yeah, I was I was sitting there. I think it was in California when I uh, when I heard that a speaker talking. I said, "Well, let's do it." That's funny. We had Sam Bouchard on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the HTD event as like yeah. very. Uh, you know, that, that was a, a lever point for him, you know, and, and really Robotique in general in terms of taking well, off. Was, so 
what's crazy is it was in Quebec City that year. So if you think about it, you know, obviously them being from Quebec City, they had all of their potential partners, not all of them, but a ton of their potential partner, uh, sales managers, owners, all coming to his city. And so, you know, he was talking about how like when you have a company, you know, timing is everything, you know, you can do everything right. And then just the timing can just happen. And it was just this perfect thing. So kind of a, a different situation, but kind of similar in the sense that you, you know, kind of realize in that moment, just, wow, like this age group is underrepresented people under really under 40 are completely, uh, um, you know, not very well represented within, um, within all of manufacturing and including in, in, in automation too. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because, you know, millennials in terms of generations is actually the largest since 2017 millennials became the largest working generation here in the U S um, as, as a whole. But when you look at manufacturing, the manufacturing um, in terms of like mean average and age is, is not matching the, the U S Bureau of labor. We're like seven, eight years higher in terms of the average age of manufacturing than across mm -hmm. other industries. And that just shows that, you know, the, the, uh, the younger generations are not entering the manufacturing workforce like they once did. Yeah. And yeah, I saw you gave that statistic uh, the other day uh, and when I listened and you, you were saying that it was basically compared to 20 years ago, right? So the, it's the change that has occurred as um, in manufacturing, as all, a lot of other industries have gotten younger, manufacturing has gotten eight years older from the, you know, basically 2021 versus 2001 or something like that. Yeah. So if you were to take the mean age of all people in manufacturing back in 2000 and compare it to the mean age of, I think the, the, the number was from 2019, but the mean age of, of the average worker in manufacturing in 2019, so almost 20 years later, that age has increased seven years. So it just shows US, that, right? yeah, in the U.S. So it just shows just massive age gap that's happening in manufacturing right now, and the younger the younger generations are not entering the workforce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a presentation at Modex actually, and it was it was a year ago, almost to the day. Right, it was the last trade show I was at, Atlanta, Georgia, and I was filling in for one of our colleagues, Joe Campbell. And uh, it's interesting because you know he's a boomer. And Joe's a, an admitted burnt boomer, you know, he, he kind of embraces it. Yeah. And he was doing a presentation on the labor crisis. And, you know, I would say seven of kind of like, you know, every keynote has those key slides, mm -hmm. right? They're kind of like the real money. And um, there was like seven slides or so that were talking about statistics of how, and he, he kind of got up and his spiel was like, I'm a boomer. And I was always encouraging my kids to never take manufacturing jobs. Like, you know, that's way beneath them. And I always encourage them to go get ed education and, you know, to get after those white collar jobs. And he wasn't able to attend Modex because of COVID. And it was like right when it was starting. And so he had me go up. And of course, I'm a millennial. And uh, it was just a pretty funny dichotomy that I was like speaking to that audience. And I was like, well, you know, Joe would have been talking to you today. He's, you know, he's a bit older than me, but we're going to say the same message. And I can tell you from personal experience that my parents told me not to go after those manufacturing jobs to go get an education and, and try and get a white collar job or some engineering job or something like that uh, to get you out of, you know, the work in those dull, dirty, dull and dangerous, as they say. So yeah, it was a pretty funny moment I found myself. But it's interesting as you look out because, I mean, I've been on probably 500 factory floors, you know, um, in, in the last 
seven years. And the, I mean, just the sheer amount of like the people that are there, you like, you really see how the age is impacting the workforce. So when you start to see a lot of the, um, the movements that are done, whether that's like picking up a package or, you know, bending over in a way and picking things up and it's in, and, and, or using your hands in a certain way. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these skills are even more difficult for individuals that are older to, to take on too. So as, as that age also creeps in, you know, there's a lot of skills that just can't be done that I think have also paved a way for, for robotics and for automation as we look forward because of just the, like what happens as, as you age and the, yeah. the skills that you can't do anymore. Yeah. So it's exacerbated. Like, yes, the age is older, but like the capability is probably even less than it would be if they were 20 years younger. Exactly. And it, you, when you bring up to the conversations about, um, you know, what's, what's driving automation and what trends are happening in manufacturing, a lot of it has to do with the workforce. And it's, it's really a, it's a symbiotic relationship between new technology and younger workforces, where if you have a manufacturer, this manufacturer hasn't implemented new manufacturing processes or automation or industry 4.0 solutions or um, new technology in 20 years, that's not going to attract a younger worker. So yeah. when you don't have a younger worker, you don't have someone out there who's wanting to drive change throughout a manufacturing process, who's wanting to implement new solutions. And so you're at this stalemate. So when it comes to how do manufacturers who have a aging workforce who are competing against, you know, a global market now within manufacturing processes, how do companies compete? Well, they need to hire younger, you know, labor or a younger workforce of millennials and Gen Zs, um, which I think is the generation following millennials mm -hmm. that is not scared about technology, is not scared, is not scared about driving innovation and new ideas to um, the manufacturing floor. And it's going to drive, um, you know, on the discussion of robotics and collaborative robots, a younger generation who grew up with, with touch screens and iPads and, and tablets, the, the, the layout of a collaborative robot system is completely different than what people grew up with 20 years ago with an old LCD screen with the old teach pendants on robotics. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different world. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why when you look at trends happening in manufacturing and that's um, mobile industrial robots, collaborative robots, IIoT, um, it's because the familiarization with younger generations, it's not something that we're scared of or we're scared to approach. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, I, I think I've seen a lot of times where even robots in general, not just collaborative robots, but really robots in general are used because they're sexy. And, and frankly, people, especially younger people, love to be around high tech stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more you can show that off, I mean, um, again, calling back to Joe, he loves to sell potential case studies with customers as a way to do recruitment. Right. Just as you were saying, these companies, a lot of times, some of the best case studies we have on our website will actually uh, they'll, they'll take that footage. They'll cut that again and they'll use it in like an HR promo to like recruit good talent. Mm -hmm. So it's true. Well, absolutely. It's the same thing as like when you see a, a company putting a, a robot on their main page when they have nothing to do with it. It's just, a, you know, uh, 
a manufacturing facility producing lots of parts, but they just, they want to appear as, as being high tech to attract um, young talent. I think that the more tools that anybody has, I think like even for myself in a company, you know, I, I want the best tools possible to work with. So I can only imagine that if I was in the manufacturing facility and, and, and wanting to be in that space as my career, I would want the, those best, uh, the best tools. Um, I think what's going to be interesting to see is like, you know, we've often talked Chris about like game gamification of mm -hmm. the manufacturing floor, you know, ultimately how can you, how can you get, how can you attract more people to this space or increase the skill set of the people that are there? You know, is gamification a possibility of, and maybe it's gamification through competition, you know, maybe you're a uh, fulfillment facility and you are trying to get parts per hour per individual. And, you know, you create a sort of competition where on a daily basis, it's, you know, individual X versus individual Y, and you're on a team and you're trying to get as many parts in. Do you see like that? Is there an area in manual skill sets that are outside of automation that you see, Jake, when it comes to like gamification within the manufacturing facility? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to put on it when you're looking at, you know, driving competition and employees from a manufacturing level. I think what we are seeing more is um, what, what I have seen being put in place, I'll just use this as an example, is automation being used as a pacemaker throughout a manufacturing process. So what I see um, examples of when I look at, I go to a manufacturing and say, hey, I see you implemented this, you know, robotic or you, this robot or collaborative robot or automation system. I say, what's the, what are some of the reasons you went through that? And they say, well, this is a driver in terms of keeping the rest of the manufacturing line on speed. So they know if, if I could have a consistent base of a robot that's handling palletizing or, or um, doing some material handling and placing it, that's driving the rest of the assembly line to keep up through its manufacturing processes that necessarily can't be automated. So in a sense of, yeah, there's some gamification happening between employees within a manufacturing floor, but I think what we're seeing more often is automation is driving a, a cycle time and a production rate that is, is helping pace workers on the line. There's actually a study, I think, by MIT uh, I've, I've referenced it a couple times in some slide decks that I forget the exact percentage, so don't quote me on it, but I think it was like 60% more effective when you have human robot collaboration on a line, setting the pace for line workers than either robotic integration or uh, human uh, like assembly by itself. Uh, I'll find that exact study and uh, perhaps we can like put it in the comments or something or the, the, the uh, infographic underneath the podcast after this. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like, because with a lot of manufacturing processes, there's not ROI justification a lot of times to manufacture or to automate a complete process. Yeah. But when you do a, a robot and operator, you know, integration together, you can draw the high labor or um, you know, large repetitive tasks or areas that increase risk to the operator, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, or and, and a process that might not be as safe when they're moving product around the entire time. When you implement a, a robotic solution into a manual assembly line, it, it really benefits everyone because we're reducing the stress and labor, but then we're also creating a timeline for the manufacturer to, to hit rate. 
Yeah, I'm sure you've probably used ROI calculators, uh, you know, in your automation distribution days. And have we all seen them? And they're always so simple. Mm -hmm. They're always like six fields, plug in number of shifts, cost per hour, and like, you know, number of workers, and it spits out some return on investment. And it's always more subtle than that. There's so many factors, like you said, you know, maybe you don't fully automate, maybe you don't fully replace that person, you know, now you can time splice them into other activities, or maybe you have an overall increase in quality. How do you quantify scrap rates? How do you uh, quantify like, you know, reduced return parts from quality improvements? It's, it's not an easy calculation a lot of times. So the best people typically have a, or the best customers, I would say, typically have a vision for what they want to achieve, you know, and yeah. they kind of have to take a leap at some point. That's Absolutely. Right I think ROI justification as a result of, you know, COVID and the pandemic during, you know, the, the pandemic and leaving out to leaving out of it, um, we're, we're approaching automation in a different way, at least with a lot of manufacturers that I'm looking at. Um, within food and pharmaceutical and, and some consumer base, which is kind of the industry I really touch. It's, it's interesting to see where it's not about, well, hey, how can we become more profitable? How can we reduce labor? It's the fact that a lot of these places right now, they can't find enough labor. I haven't, I haven't walked into one manufacturing facility in the past six months, and I have not seen a hiring sign yep. or a, a job form fill out. And it's, it's every industry. It's people looking for controls engineers, people looking for manufacturing engineers, people looking for operators in first, second, and third shift. It's, it's one of those things when it comes to justification of automation, it's not just about trying to reduce the, the bottom line. It's trying to you know have enough resources to be productive and meet your current demand. Yeah, yeah. The, exactly. I, I've, I've said it a few times in the podcast, but the, there's been a huge change since COVID. I mean, even before COVID, there was a, it was a little bit of a lull in, in the market. I think that, you know, it was, we weren't seeing as much um, interest in robots and then COVID hit and it definitely pulled back to a few years before numbers. And then you all of a sudden get this massive surge where I don't know what, what exactly caused it, but it was like the mindset of, it was once people realized that they didn't, that COVID wasn't going to destroy their business, that they needed to prepare for the five years down the road. And now all of a sudden robots were the most attractive thing that they could add to their, to their business or automation in general was something that the most important thing that they could add to their business. Have you seen similar factors as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you see a lot of trends happening in manufacturing, I think as a result of, uh, of the pandemic, you know, one of them immediately comes to mind is employee safety. You know, when we talked about where, it's not just the safety of the employees, but it's also, you know, employees need to keep, be kept at a safe, a safe distance now. When you're in a lot of manufacturing facilities, you could have 8, 20 people, you know, 8, 15, 20 people in, in a line, you know, that's 30 feet long. Well, you can't do that anymore, yeah. you know, with the whole six foot separation, all that stuff. So how do you keep up with that production rate without having operators standing next to each other? And a lot of times you're implementing automation or a robot in between each person. There's a lot with that way. Um you know, I look at some other things as well, where IOT is a big thing right now, where we're looking at not necessarily implementing new equipment onto the floor, but how can I take a lot of that information and make it smarter? How can I actually collect a, a manufacturing machine that's always been running, but actually begin to get data out of it, you know, understand, hey, what is my, what is my rate? What's my scrap rate? What's my OEE? Yeah. All this other information. And, and, you know, companies as well, in terms of like modeling, um, 
and this is a little bit of a shift, but when you look at a, main, a lot of manufacturers right now and a lot of companies in manufacturing who are producing products, they're shifting from a B, B2B to B2C market because no longer are, are companies moving to a, a business to business relationship, but you see a lot of these manufacturers directly targeting right, their definitely. customers and their consumers. Hmm. So it's, it's really like exciting. Yeah, it's true. Instead of it's routing- cut out the middle, man. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. No, yeah. I was just going to say, so you're saying instead of routing that business back through some sort of value added area that they're finding that they can increase their, like, I don't know if it's like transparency or, but they're, I don't even know if it's marketing, but essentially their, their reach to the end customer directly. Yeah. 100%. You know, we're, we're seeing that, um, manufacturers and companies are like, for example, you mentioned case studies and, and really it goes back to my, my, my phrase, you know, stop selling and start solving. Well, manufacturers are out there trying to solve what these companies need and manufacturers in terms of what their problems are facing on the manufacturing floor. And when they're going out there and they're targeting what those, those problems are no longer is a, a company like you are just trying to sell them a collaborative robot. They're out there trying to solve a problem on the floor. And, and I that think phrase. That, I'm going to steal that for sure. I'll quote uh, you. I'll cite you. you quote it, man. But that's, that's my catchphrase. Yeah, no, that's good. That's uh, I've definitely seen that before all over your stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. But um, you know, and I think the last thing that when you look at, when you look at trending, you know, kind of happening in the manufacturing, the manufacturing industry, since we're talking about it is, manufacturers are reevaluating how they're shoring and sourcing components. And I think that's the biggest thing that happened during the pandemic is when I was having discussions with a lot of, you know, global manufacturers is they, their production line stopped because they couldn't get certain components from China and, and, and other areas. So they say, wow, look how um, vulnerable. Vulner- yeah, exactly. Look how vulnerable our manufacturing process is, where they never would have thought that getting some specific components from a, a, a source across seas was, was so important. So I see a lot, of, a lot of things happening where manufacturers are really going to start developing more personal relationships with their suppliers. Yeah. And they're going to be asking their suppliers to give more information when it comes to their manufacturing process. So it goes back to that whole IOT thing where if, if a large tier one, tier two company is, is sourcing a product, they wanna know what is your production rate? How many parts did you produce in the last week? So we are aware of what your capacity is. You know, If you have six of these machines that are making these parts, but you're running at 50% OEE right now and they need a demand, they say, okay, how can we go back to this customer and invest into modernization of their equipment to drive up their OEE rather than going out and finding a brand new supplier? Mm-hmm. And that's the type of information that's, that's really interesting when it comes to manufacturers and, and re- completely reevaluating the procurement side of you know, the assembly of their components. Yeah, it's supply chain, uh, supply chain traceability. Yeah. You know, is really becoming more evident, and not necessarily even diversifying completely away from China, because I think people will always have that in their pocket for, you know, cost reduction and and essentially to set the baseline for you know what the acceptable threshold for cost has become with you know the American 
consumer market. But I do think that they're di diversifying their options, you know, and they're they're always going to have an American backup, you know, now at least or, you know, it, even if they're not the first one, they're going to have an option to choose a mid America part supply chain, something well, like that. Well, it's interesting, but, I mean, right? I mean, you, like when you talk when you talk about like China, I think that there's there's also there's just there's a reason also how China is being able to pursue that. I think long term China has obviously invested significantly into automation. I mean, Jake, you've put some stats out there on how many robots that China is putting out on a yearly basis. You do have anything that to, to quote here. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, right, I think in 2018, China integrated more robots than the rest of the world combined. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, kind of going back to what you said, Chris, is a lot of, a lot of I think, manufacturers are realizing that, listen, China is no longer this super low-cost labor out there. China is turning to automation as a solution because that's where they're driving a competitive edge. So when you look at a lot of companies now saying, well, shoot, if China's automating this process, why can't we automate that same exact process here back in the United States or you know, a European company here back in Europe? So I, it goes back to a lot of reshoring. Um, I know several companies who have been developing electronics for, um, for, for boards within the manufacturing industry, and they're taking that product that was developed and, and being built out in China and they're resourcing it back here in the US just because they say, listen, we have a lot more control over it. We're reducing our risk when it comes to the procurement of this product that is gonna completely stabilize our manufacturing line to improve our quality. Yeah, and that was a very, you know, purposeful, uh, I think it was called the China 2020, you know, initiative that they were talking about. And I remember this was quite a hot topic in late 18 into 19. And it was about the initiative that China was taking for two things, mostly robotics and uh, electric vehicles and how they were going to really bring in and uh, repatriate uh, like all of those different uh, technologies, right, for robotics. So I think that's why we've seen a huge surge in the last like four years of made in China robots yeah. as well. And also made in China EVs, like how many different Tesla ripoffs do they have over there now as well? Yeah. So. Uh, that's, so that's very much a top-down thing. That was a strategic decision by their government to push uh, this automation as well. I think they saw that it was coming. You well, know, how far do you think we're behind, Jake? When you, from your research, I know you've stayed very well in tune with the, the market and, and kind of U.S. versus China, but how far, and it's the rest of the world too. I mean, it's not just the U.S., but when you compare like our automation capabilities here in the U.S., I'm not saying in sheer numbers or percentage, because I know we're really, really far behind um, from a percentage of robots used to say um, for a number of tasks. But when you look at the overall number of um, like when you when I, I mean, like years of maybe skill sets behind applications that they're pursuing that we're not able to do now. You know, it's decades. It, decades. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to say when it comes to that. You know, I would still say a lot of unique manufacturing processes and stuff. Ingenuity is still being driven here in Europe and in the United States. Um, but when it comes to a a sheer adoption of how important manufacturing is to an economy, I would say China really recognizes it. You know, they they when it comes to and it's a, it's, a, it's a different you know government style over in China, but when they recognize that 
how they'll move forward as you know the 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 country with the largest GDP in the world. Now, currently, the U.S. is is here, but they're saying you know in ten years, yeah, um, China's going to be no matter what we do. Yeah, China's going to be the largest um, uh, economy in the world. Uh, I think it goes back to how much of how many components right now are we outsourcing to China or are other countries outsourcing to China versus what we can begin to reshore here to not just, you know, it's, it's, it's a global economy now. It's not, you know, country X versus country Y, but I think it comes down to how do companies and manufacturers stay competitive. And I think a lot of that has to do with reshoring and resourcing locally. Um, but wouldn't you say that it a little bit is, is competition from a workforce standpoint. I mean, if, if we do, if we don't, if we're not able to reshore and we do push lots of jobs to China because we're buying more and more from China. And we, I mean, we have, we obviously have bought, we buy a lot from China. I'm a big believer in the global economy. I'm not saying that it's a competition where it's one versus and you, you know, well, the other loses, but there is a shift of, you know, of a percentage of jobs that we will ultimately not have in the U S if we don't, have that manufacturer. I mean, the amount of jobs that we have in the U.S. from a, in a manufacturing standpoint is only going to decrease percentage-wise versus what what gets added to China uh, if we don't keep up on a manufacturing and an automation standpoint. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, in order for us to continue to drive and bring jobs back here to the U.S., the 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 companies need to, to invest in automation and industry 4.0 solutions. If, if a manufacturer is out there and they can no longer, if, if a business owner is out there and they no longer can have the labor force or the resources to make that product, that company's not going to shut down. They're going to start looking, okay, where can I get this material and, res- and, and, and resources elsewhere? And if they can't get either the talent or the, um, you know, the material. labor or the opportunity, they're going to have to look elsewhere. Um, and you, you, you've seen that you've seen companies that have shut down plants and saying, well, I can go out and get a lower cost labor, um, uh, for, for, for making this product in China. But I see a lot of companies now looking back and bringing back and say, no, I can grow my business and bring it back here to the U S yeah. at the same time. Yeah. You know, a great example. Have you ever heard of Jake, uh, something called exometry? I have not. It's a, uh, I think it's a great example of kind of this subject that we're talking about right now. I've used it before and I know a lot of, you know, uh, people that are looking for parts can use it. So essentially, you know, like the Airbnb model, the, the Uber model, where um, there's a service that essentially pairs you with different, uh, you know, producers, if you will, people that are creating the value. Exometry is this for machine shops. Yeah. So I think it actually started with 3D printing, but now they've transcended into CNC machining as well. And they'll offer you, so you, you basically can just upload your files and they'll give you an instant quote. It like basically, you know, approximates at least what the cost would be. And uh, Exometry is interesting because they'll give you three quotes. They'll give you rapid made from a nearby U.S. manufacturer. That's the highest cost. They'll give you like a mid-tier cost, which is still probably American made, but it'll take a little bit longer. Maybe it's not sourced locally. And then they'll give you a very cheap cost which is from China, but it takes five weeks to get there. And it's usually minimum quantity orders of like, you know, a hundred or at least if not 500. Is exometry, that's, that's okay. Zoom. Okay. Zoomer with Aaron, right? I don't know. I, th- I, I just did a little bit of looking and yeah, yeah. I, I want to say after you were saying to me, yes, I do know. So exometry, there's a podcast out there that 
that Aaron's done. And I was actually on his podcast. Okay. Cool. All of last year. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard of Exometry before. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great company. That's and awesome. uh, really, really cool company. I it mean. represents this reshoring, at least opportunity. Like, you know, I've talked to customers that would very much prefer to use the American, you know, option on Exometry for a number of reasons, not just locality and speed, but also the minimum order quantities. And, you know, they especially use it when they need to start to prototype things, right? It's not yeah, good to be prototyping absolutely. out of China, right? Yeah. Um, maybe when they hit quantity, they'll go back to China just for those reasons. But now they, they can start to entertain options in that regard. So that's cool. I got to check out that podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's OK Zoomer by Aaron, okay, Aaron Lichtig. And yeah, because I did that. We had a conversation and he's actually a, a Jeopardy champion. Oh, huh. really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Quick little rest in peace to Alex Trebek for that one. Say, uh... Exactly. Ken Jennings has been holding it down, though. I have to admit, he's pretty good. <laughs> a big Jeopardy guy. Um, just to put it in perspective, so about 10% of the U.S. workforce is employed in manufacturing. I think it's like 12% of the economy or the GDP is, uh, is manufacturing. Um, yeah, interesting, I- interesting fact that I put out there, Zach. I think it was like last week or the week before where if you were to take America's manufacturing – in terms of GDP, yeah. it would be the seventh largest country in the world when it came to economic dollars. Yeah, Very I cool. saw that one. Yeah, that, I think I reposted that one. It's it's real interesting. I think we only want to grow that as we as we look forward. And I, I mean, I can, I see there being such a, a stronghold um, for us to be able to pursue over the next like ten years. So I, it leads me into a, a, an interesting question, and we didn't prep you with it. So I'm I'm real excited for your authentic uh, answer here. Um, when will lights out manufacturing be a thing? When will it be that say 25% of companies will have lights out manufacturing? Because obviously there there'll be plenty that'll do like the first one. When's the 25 percentile take place? Oh man, it's it's so hard to say. Um, will will it happen eventually? For for all companies, no. There's always going to be a a need for operators. It, it lights out manufacturing is not going away. I mean, for some companies, we see that process. We see automation handling that. I mean, you look at companies who are who are doing additive manufacturing, right? They'll they'll take a um, a a part they want to 3d print plug it into a printer and it will print overnight for 13 hours but i mean you could say the exact same thing for a, a uh, an automated cnc machine right you know if we have a part that we want to mill down i mean we could argue that that's lights lights out manufacturing yeah. because yeah. i can get put in a raw you know billet of aluminum and out comes a fully cnc'd Yep. Debird clean parts. So for 25% of manufacturers, I couldn't even give an honest number out that. Um, maybe my kids will see that gener- that number at yeah. 25%. Put it that way. How old are your um, kids to put it that way? Yeah. And my, and my, my oldest is three years old. Okay. <laughs> uh, and she might, and she yeah. might see that in her generation, but yeah, we're getting there. I mean, we can go on the discussion of AI and deep learning and all that stuff, but here's the exact same thing, right? Industry 4.0 is a buzzword right now. Industry 4.0 has been around for 20, 25 years. Oh yeah. You know, so, so look at how long it's taking for companies to look at, uh, you know, taking their machines and bringing it up to an IOT cloud, you know, 
when we when we have the discussions on AI and deep learning as part of a manufacturing process, we are years and decades out from a lot of manufacturing companies turning. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I mean, I I don't like not completely. Yeah. I I mean, I just think that when you add in like telecommunication, you know, you can have people monitoring it from across the globe. You can really bring the true term global, uh, like global market together where you could have a company in one part of the globe, 12 hours different, somebody's tele monitoring it overnight and they have a robot that they can augment with their hand and, and do some sort of maintenance or some sort of tweaking because they have such fine control and 5G obviously brings in, I mean, obviously what's next after 5G and 10, 20 years from now. Six, six is yeah. coming. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> like, how, like how much faster will that be? Yeah. Uh, well, the problem is it won't work through a piece of paper, but it'll yeah. be here. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting just to see how that how that takes off where maybe it will never actually occur. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the whole thing, you know, I, I don't know how many companies right now have a complete goal of lights out manufacturing, but I think what their goal is, is, you know, example is that, you know, a controls engineer who could log in anywhere to a machine and not have to be present on the floor. And you saw a lot of that right now when discussions were first happening back in the pandemic where they say, hey, you know, um, unless you're an absolute, you know, need to be in the, the manufacturing floor, we want you to work from home. So a lot of companies were like, well, how can I still have my controls engineer who's not necessarily on site to be able to trouble and diagnose a machine? So you see a lot of devices out there that are really mm. merging the, the raw machine to a, a cloud mm. um, or a way to communicate over the internet. Do you really like the term lights out? Do you think that's really indicative of what we're talking about? Or are we just talking about, you know, automating the factories to a point where we need less humans in them? You know, is it really actually turning the lights off? And I just don't really know if that term is representative of what we're actually going for. You know, it's interesting. I think Eric Neves, right? Plus one robotics. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you've ever, yeah, you might've heard of him. Um, and he, you know, his software is really cool. Like a lot of that understanding, like the bin picking that he's doing, you know, is based on the idea that you will need teleoperation and, and not every grasp of an object will be able to be solved with some yeah. AI program or anything like that. And so they have people sitting on the other side of the screens. They're not controls engineers. They're just operators. Right. And uh, those people can actually go in and specify exactly how the robot should go in and grasp, the, grasp that part. It trains the neural net and it also gets the robot running at the same time. So you don't need someone there. And uh, it's exactly the kind of thing, you know, we've seen companies like Infosys, right. Mm -hmm. uh, come in where they're taking it and they're, they're, they're making it mass uh, available by kind of automating an entire, you know, department for a call center or something like that. That's exactly where I think we're going to end up with manufacturing eventually too. As soon as these technologies start to converge to a point where they're all uh, approachable enough for the everyday person to use, you know? Absolutely. And, and the whole point I look at with an automation is, you know, a lot of um, when it comes to an, an operator, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, increasing the person's self-worth and, and how they view it. If a person's doing 10 hours a day and all they're doing is there's a video I posted a long time ago about a person who was moving five gallon water jugs and stacking them on. And doing yeah. I remember that one. And Backbreaking. Yeah. And, and, and there was a celebration for how hard this person was working. And, 
applause to them for having the stamina to do that. I know I couldn't do that, you know, yeah. for the shift that he is. <laughs> but at the end of the day is, is that something we want to celebrate or is that something that we want to address and say, no, that person's body 20 years from now is more valuable than trying to put a throughput of, of stacking this equipment. Yeah. And if, if we can take that person's livelihood and make it safer for them as a whole, where they can go home and say, I contributed to something without having to use my, my body as a resource that I'm going to lose out on in the long run. Um, I say that's a success, a, a success for a lot of automation and, yeah, and implementing new technology. Absolutely. You know, it becomes a tool for, for people to use. And I think that's what's so cool about what collaborative robots have, has brought about where it's like, you know, it's not about like taking your job. I mean, it's not, you know, you look at what like not about the power and force limiting, you know, it's yeah. not about that kind of stuff. It's really just about democratizing automation for uh, more people, you know, and making it so that more people can consider it than they ever have before. Well, if you and GE put out a thing from factory of the future, like 50 years ago, and they were like, within the next few decades, all jobs in manufacturing will be, you know, pretty much gone. And we will have and, and how many years did they say? I think that they said by um, by the year 2000, I think they said within the next like uh, 20 or 30 years, I could pull it up, but it was such a fail that they pulled yeah. it like a year later. Um, it was quickly pulled. And I remember looking up and it was like 1972 when it was like, they were criticizing. I think it was 1968 when they released it uh, originally. And it was, it was such a fail. But it's it's really interesting is we're 50 years from then and we're not, we're not even anywhere close. We're not even saying, hey, factory of the future completely lights out manufacturing yeah. is going to occur so i just think that it's very cool to see how collaborative robots have now kind of filled that gap where it's like we're not it's not stealing jobs it's really becomes a tool for people and i think a lot of automation should have that same goal whether it's um a, a mobile robot or um, a conveyor or, you know whatever it may be all technology really should become something that is easier for anyone to use that you don't have to be a degreed engineer or manufacturing engineer to go on a floor and be able to put some of these like puzzle pieces together. It needs to be a lot more like Legos where you can go on a floor, put these things together, give yourself an automation solution. And instead of being an operator and then that same like level of individual can do those very fulfilling tasks as a human. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to, <coughs> excuse me. Um, when you look at companies and the discussion around manufacturing I, I don't see manufacturing jobs being reduced as a result of automation. And because I think what's what's happening is, is as we begin to automate more, as we begin to drive more technology into manufacturing, I believe there's going to be more jobs that come out. There's going to be more opportunity in the consumer world around it. Um, you know, just look at an example like Amazon. Amazon's got 600,000 plus employees. And a lot of it has to do with the world of procurement and warehousing. And a lot of that is driven by automation solutions, whether it be through automated storage retrieval systems, a lot of, you know, convey, uh, conveyors, and that has to do with um, all their autonomous mobile robots that they have on their facilities and, and in their um, their warehouses. So, so it's just one of those things is, you know, look at a company who's as young as Amazon is and relative to the manufacturing and the, the automation world. And, you know, I, I, I'm a firm, I'm a, I'm a SpaceX, uh, you know, fanboy when it comes to me a lot too, of man. stuff. Um, Zach knows I'm like annoying every time Starship's launching, I'm like texting them like, come on, dude, you got to get on air right now. <laughs> and and, and I, I really think, you know, 
when you look at where some more industries are going to happen, you look at you look at space and you know, see so much yeah, more absolutely. ingenuity, so many jobs around. I mean, how, how many how many people does SpaceX employ? And, you know, that that is an industry focused on just outer space and technology and driven product and all the manufacturing processes. I mean, look at just today, um, Rocket Lab announced that they're no longer doing, neutron. you know, the electron, but they're doing a neutron, which is a uh, 8,000 or um, 8,000. 8, 8, was it eight ton or eight, 8,000 pounds, 8,000 kilograms, yeah. 8,000 kilogram payload. I mean, so you look at when there's, when there's companies out there that are innovating in that manufacturing and I love rocket lab just cause you know, they're, they're 3d printing their, their yeah. engines and their rockets. They're um, making all of their, their uh, electrically powered turbo bumps. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, everything's <laughs> out of carbon fiber wrap. It's just exciting to see all this ingenuity, but going back to space, you know, there's gonna be so much automation in space. Imagine yeah. when, we have where we have factory floors that are making robots and drones to go out and mar you know mine resources on an asteroid or a moon or on Mars. Um, it's just happening, you know. I would say you know Jeff Bezos retired, well not retired, but you know stepped down as is stepping down as CEO of Chairman. He's I think he's going to take Blue up, Origin. Yeah, you know, he's going to he's going to take Blue Origin and run with it. Yeah. And so you know his goal is to colonize space and i think you know with him and and the money that he has behind it in the next 20 years you're going to see that happen yeah i think with the commercial interest i i do believe that the end goal will be to put the manufacturing in space yeah it's a lot easier to like you know the the truly end goal and i i would love to see this in our lifetimes and i doubt that we will but like there's a lot of natural resources out on that asteroid belt and i can see a lot of manufacturers moving their entire operation out there and then being able to blast stuff with almost no Delta V anywhere in the solar system they need to, to be able to build up infrastructure. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. But all that goes back to manufacturing and manufacturing those resources and, you know, additive manufacturing in space. It's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where the technology we're implementing right now on manufacturing floors is going to be the same technology we're implementing up in our, you know, outside of our, uh, outside of atmosphere. Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I love to see you live look up stuff too. It's pretty cool. Every time we uh, mention something, I could tell if you're really interested because you look over at your screen and type it in real quick. <laughs> but I think you were just looking up something on the GE uh, Factory of the Future. Did you find anything on that or when uh, Zach mentioned that? No, I didn't look that one up. Okay. <laughs> no, I was looking up some Amazon and SpaceX statistics. Yes, good stuff. So I wanted to bring up two two fun facts here or two things that just recently occurred. Curious of your opinions on it. You know, we, we talk we talk a lot about robots, obviously, on, on this podcast. Um, we talk a lot about six-axis, you know, automation, but obviously uh, the world of mobile industrial robots and uh, is, is blowing up. Um, you know, Locus Robotics which does more than that, but obviously has a lot um, within that space. Just got a $1 billion valuation. Um, Berkshire Gray uh, also has a lot within the mobile industrial space. Just got a $2.7 billion valuation. Two, two things released in the past week. Curious of your thoughts on those. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see a lot of driving. And when you look at Kemper uh, Venture Capital and Mobile Robotics, I mean, Berkshire Gray, Seagrid, Auto Motors, Locus, Venka Robotics, Gray Orange, Exotic, Fetch. I mean, all of these Adabotics, all of these companies out Fetch there. That's a huge one too, that's right. You know, are, are getting huge capital investments. I, I made a post last week talking about how by 2024, you're going to see $9 billion um, 
invested annually in, in startups and existing companies within the mobile robotics mm-hmm. field. I mean, look at, um, you know, we're talking universal robots, we're talking acquisitions, Teradyne, right? You know, picked up mobile industrial robots, they picked up AutoGuide. Um, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of these stuff as well, right? Amazon went out and bought their own company to manufacture their yep. robots. It's just uh, the the warehouse and procurement space when it comes to e-commerce and getting product delivered to your door instead of going to a store is going to continue to increase. Yeah. And Um, dynamics for that matter too. Everybody talks about spot and all they think of when Boston dynamics comes up is either Atlas or spot, but they have an entire palletizing line, you know, of like real industrial six axis robots for palletizing, Uh, you know, and then they have even kind of, crazier like the ostrich one i don't know exactly what it was but that's used for palletizing too right so so they've been bought five times now i think yeah so you're gonna you're gonna see you know i i think those evaluations in terms of you know fetch and and all these companies and locusts getting big evaluations is because it exists that market is there um you know is it a boom though is it a dot-com boom though you know is this going to just keep going? I mean, 75, they both, Locust and Berkshire Gray, I think both were 75 times forward revenue. Uh, and I don't, I know Berkshire Gray is not profitable. Say there won't be till 2024. So that's, I mean, that's a huge bet on the future. I think it's totally worth it. But I think that there's a, I'm curious of your thoughts on like, is this more of a boom where people are going to realize like, it's not going to take, it's going to take way too long to pay this back. No, I don't think so. I, I think it's an investment that's happening. I mean, do you have, do you have Amazon, Chris or Zach? Yeah. Did you buy a something on Amazon the past week? Today? Yeah. Here you New go. Mesh Wi-Fi network for my house because I can't sit in my office. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the exact same thing. I shipped you know? stuff to Key West for my girlfriend's birthday because I was too late to, you know, I didn't want to bring it with me. and couldn't pack it in there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon's a lifesaver for your relationship too. But, you know, so it's, it's that exact same thing. It's, it's driving ingenuity. People want things now, now, now. We become a consumer-based, um, you know, group of people where we want things now we want things quickly you know look at amazon prime when two-day shipping came out no one thought that was possible how how could i go out there of prime and get any product they want delivered to my door in two days and here you know where i live we're we're going to be rolling out later this summer two hour delivery <laughs> on awesome. anything that i need you know yeah. and groceries and all that stuff so it's just it's just one of those things where you're going to consent continue to see it happen um you know even and these companies realize it as well. Amazon came out with their own deep learning vision inspection system. Yeah, I saw that. You know, that's out there. So you're seeing these companies and they're not throwing this money out there because it's a hype. I mean, where you could say Bitcoin and and all this cryptos is a hype and all that stuff. But people are buying Bitcoin because they're buying Bitcoin. And and I can get a whole other thing with cryptocurrency. Um, But when it comes to mobile industrial robots and, and, and collaborative robots and stuff, that technology is going to keep on happening. And kind of to turn it back on Zach, do you think they really need to be profitable? Do you think that in order to have a successful business nowadays, you need to be profitable? Has Uber turned profits yet? You know, I don't think that they have, or they certainly weren't profitable for a long time. No, no. I, I don't think that you have to be profitable when you're at that valuation mark by any means. I was just, I'm just curious if we think that this is, is this the height or is this going to just keep going? And we're going to see in two years from now, 150 forward times, you know, revenue. Like at what point does the Warren Buffett style mentality of investing say like needs little cash, produces high margins and, you know, 
versus now it's like needs tons of cash, makes no money and is not going to be profitable for 10 years. At what point does it become too much? Or are we going to just keep going down this path for another, you know, two, three, four, five years and be robot companies getting 200 times revenue forward revenue? I, I wish I had the answers for that. <laughs> I don't know. We'd all be a lot richer, wouldn't we? <laughs> it's good though. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's it also goes to back. Because it's like, wow, so many great ideas out there can yeah. really take off, right? And you don't have to be profitable. <laughs> to, yeah. yeah. No. And it, it's just, it's a lot of ingenuity happening right now. And I think um, uh, a lot of these companies are getting ahead of what, manufacturers and companies are going to be driving down the road in terms of what they need in terms of the, the mobile industrial robot space. Um, I want to say, I, I don't know a number, but I would say definitely a large portion of margin of companies still don't have automation in their warehouse and yeah, logistics industry. It's tough. Um, it's tough to find a home for mobile robots, you know, like a true, like knock out of the park application. I don't think it's the same as manipulators, you know, um, I think at least the manufacturers that I've talked to, because I've been in the room with sales guys from mobile robot companies before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can walk the line and point to a lot of manipulation tasks, even if they're kind of outside of the reach of current technology, you know, maybe you'd have to pull in too much vision maybe it'd be a little bit too much in cost, but it's like theoretically possible, you know, That's but, of the uh, too, right. You can, it just, how much do you want to customize it? You can, yeah. you can pretty much do a lot of the tasks that people want to do. It just, it may cost a ton of money, have a lot of resources, might take three robots to do it. And this other application might only take one robot and, and might be a third or a quarter or a fifth of the cost. So I think that what, when you see a lot of the mobile robot things, it's the, the customization capability is just, it's harder. Yep. And, and so it goes back to, I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of ingenuity. You're going to see a lot of new technology coming about. And that's going to drive, you know, more solutions. It goes back to Eric at plus one robotics or, yeah. or all these other places where, um, you know, Aaron, Aaron Prather over at FedEx yeah, implementing plus he's one. He's a good follow. Yeah, he, he's like, yeah, you. yeah. A couple, you couple two guys are sparring for the top of robotics LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Well, spot. Yeah, if, if you're not following uh, Aaron Prather on, on LinkedIn or, or Eric from plus one robotics, make sure you guys are following those two right now. Yeah. Um, I would throw one more out to you. Florian from item. There you go. He, uh, he, he, he's, he's, the, good. he's the content guy over in the Europe. Yeah. <laughs> he's good so as well. All, all those names are great. And uh, brings up a good point for you, Jake, or a question for you. What's next for you? I mean, we, we, we've spent a lot getting your opinions, but we haven't talked enough about the manufacturer millennial. Um, what's next for you? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it's, it's great. It's, it's a lot of exciting stuff that's coming up. Um, uh, not all of it I can announce because there's some contracts and stuff that still need to be signed. Um, but you know, for me, it's just you can one of those back things. Back on the podcast and announce it if you want, and we can just yeah, go. we'd love to break that for you. <laughs> Breaking but, news. Breaking for me, news. It's it's fantastic because you know my, my my day job is I'm a business development manager for Fine Zelstra. We do you know robotics and, and control systems integration for manufacturers, and then you know my night job for the manufacturing millennial is working with manufacturers. So they'll just, those two blend perfectly. Yeah. Um, you know, but as far as the manufacturer millennial goes, um, now that things are beginning to open up more, it's, it's going and work, going to manufacturing facilities and systems integrators and robotic companies and discussing what solutions they're providing into the industry. 
going to manufacturers and talking about problems that they had and how automation um, solved those needs and really just driving and influencing the importance of younger generations entering the workforce and adapting and implementing modernization, industry 4.0, IIoT into every manufacturing space. Cool. So, awesome. you know, for me, I, I would say, um, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Jake Hall, or you can search the Manufacturing Millennial. I'm on Clubhouse now doing um, almost daily or every other day uh, talks on there. So follow me on there as well. Um, Are you getting a lot of Clubhouse. traction on Clubhouse? Say that again. Are you getting a lot of traction on Clubhouse? Um, I guess what type of uh, what type of segment are you seeing join that space? Uh, there's there's some great ones. So so Martin Cloak he he runs a a Clubhouse called the Industry 4.0 topic, and I'm out there and they have different topics all the time. So that's a great one to look up. But really, it's just it's 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 such a unique platform that I'm enjoying is because it's such an open discussion, right? There's no texting or or video or all that stuff. It's anyone can hop on a well moderated uh you know room and have a conversation. I was on one today during lunch where we we're talking about cybersecurity and the manufacturing workforce. Yeah. And then before, you know, I was talking about, you know, workforce generation. So that's another fun platform. So yeah, I'm on. Um, yeah, I feel like it keeps you sharp when you're on. Yeah, that oh guy, yeah. Right? It's because, because there's so many people out there who've been in the industry for 25, 30 years that you just can listen and, and really learn from the experts yeah. um, for me. And that's one thing I just want to become more knowledgeable in the space as well. But yeah, uh, LinkedIn, um, my website's the manufacturingmillennial.com. Um, and I'm sure you guys will link all that stuff in the podcast, yep. but you know, connect with me and you know, if there's, if there's manufacturers or other companies out there that want to look at and say, Hey, how can I use the, the, the space of social media to create and influence content? Um, you know, reach out to me and let's have a conversation. That's good. Well, awesome, man. Absolutely. We appreciate you having, having you on here, um, taking the time. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure, guys. Super excited about that. I'm glad this whole thing happened where I think I saw one of your podcasts that you were having and then I messaged you to say, hey, I love the podcast. And then That's here it. we are maybe a week and a half later, two weeks later. Yep, got to move on it. I wish we had more time to talk about those Legos behind you, man. Oh, man, I have I have sets and sets of yeah. Legos that I probably should be ashamed of sharing how much Lego I and have. The, and the Vention Extrusion is nice as well. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah. Uh, a fun partnership with uh with vention that i love those we guys yeah. together cool yeah we, we had, uh we got to get you a crowd raise for a millennium falcon though i have one it's oh you do it's yeah. just out of frame i knew i was, I was gonna yeah, say i, I, I have ask. i have the ultimate collector's falcon That's you know awesome, send me a send me a robot to put back uh, on my show yeah actually absolutely i was wondering if you had a ur up there You're gonna get uh, i got a lot of other ones up there we'll, we'll get, get you we'll get, we'll get you we'll get you one uh, are you planning on going to any um any of the shows that they have planned for the back part of this year. Um, absolutely. You know, it's just one of those, when, when they open up and stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. Automate forwards an upcoming one. Um, well, I would say is definitely check out. That's uh, one of the big things I'm going to be doing a lot that is officially not officially released, but I'll be uh, doing a big section of automate forward for Sweet all five point. days coming up. What, do, what is the dates on that? Um, automate forward is, let me pull it up real quick. And is that, that's a, that's a virtual one. 
Yeah, it's virtual. It's March 22nd to March 26th. Yeah. Oh, it's an A3 event. Yep, A3 RIA uh, mm -hmm. event. So that's uh, automated normally the really big uh, show that happens in McCormick Center. Oh, um, that's right. Supposed, yeah, you are supposed to have here. They moved it. To, right. They moved it to virtual because they haven't been able to. Yeah, I think they had it in Detroit, but yeah. So, so I'm really, really. Greg Smith's gonna be talking. Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be one of the, um, the guys that's talking each day during, I think from from twelve thirty to one thirty Eastern, Monday through Friday. Nice. Um, I'll, I'll be on and then doing some happy hour after the events too and stuff. You know, speaking of eight three, that I that was the uh, the business forum was when I realized I was the young duck in the room. <laughs> yep uh for sure yeah, it wasn't an htd event for me it was the a3 business forum in january of last year and i was there for my first time boy not only is it tough going to those for the first time but it's tough going to those when everyone's about 30 years older than you in the room oh, for sure you know i think uh i think joe campbell's uh is talking on um thursday for that event as well cool. for yep. from from ur so awesome. yeah that's actually where i met that's where i met eric from plus one at um was at the a3 like three years ago so it's funny um mm -hmm. all, all these events hopefully we'll have a few in, in person at the end of the year um, i sure hope so expo i think is gonna they're planning on doing that one still Fabtech will be in person and um hopefully we can get a beer then that would be great yep I got yo, one more yo. question for you jake before we go if you What's could that? and i don't know if i'm allowed to ask this but okay. where do you get your stats you know research and all, yeah, and all. Well, obviously research, but do you Google it? Do you have like yeah, some I, subscription? Yeah, I mean, I, I Google it, but then, something. you know, I'll dig into the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Um, yeah. know, Interfederation of Robotics is a great one. But mm -hmm. then, you know, A3 and RIA put out great statistics as well. Um, there's a lot of government uh, subsidized groups like MMTC here in Michigan, M Michigan Manufacturing Technology Center. But then there's one for like each individual state as well. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, of the, a lot of these statistics are by corporations and companies who have the same goal I have is working with manufacturers to implement automation. And a lot of the videos and content I share are by companies that I'm working with to highlight a manufacturing process. You know, I have a really fun one tomorrow that I'm going to be putting out. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just, it's super exciting with the content it's available. It's just for me, I, I found a way to, to curate it and make it exciting and engaging. Um, to have discussions around automation and when we can have more discussions around automation it really reduces the risk mindset for manufacturers when putting in these solutions definitely well yeah thank you again for coming on zach do you got any <laughs> closing thoughts sorry i cut you off there no 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 i was just i was saying definitely so yeah thanks jake really appreciate my, it my pleasure guys time, thanks for having me on yeah we'll talk to you soon bye guys see ya